Anyway, Dave, sorry, I interrupt you. You were frozen there, but thank you very much for joining us. And uh, I'll f- try and figure out how to edit this lot together in a bit. But uh, Dave Spears, G4 Software, um, with, is that a 2600? What's the one below the mini, the mini Moog? What's that keyboard there? That's a Logan Vocalist. Now, that is something I've never heard of. No, it's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Does it uh, sing like a vocalist or is it a vocoder? No, it's not a vocoder. It's a kind of formant filter synth. So you've got a kind of tenor and an alto and a solo section. It's um, it's interesting. I was doing some work on it and I suddenly went, it's a semitone out of tune. So there's, oh, no. a, little, uh, there's a pitch, that, hence the screwdriver. There's a pitch thing here, which I was mucking around with, and it's still a semitone out of tune. So I think the uh, voltage has got to be uh, cranked up on the inside a little bit. It's the sample rates off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's brilliant because there's a little thing called impedance, which actually should be just renamed impudence. Imp- yeah, it does. <laughs> Im- impeding progress. Yeah, nice. Well, and uh, thank you, Dave. We also got Mr. Gaz Williams there, bass player, producer, music technologist, with what looks like a stylophone in the room with him. There he goes. <laughs> is that the brand? Is that the brand new new stylophone? Yeah, it's called Gen X1, and it's sort of, uh, well, I've got my old stylophone out for, it's, uh, yeah, a little bit bigger, but not much bigger. Um, it's uh, it's quite, it's pretty decent, actually. It's a, it's a proper analog synth, uh, and it's got, um, it's got a, a switchable LFO between uh, triangle, so switch, a delay, an analog delay. Whoa. <laughs> so it's like a monotron effectively similar sort of thing to a monotron more f- more much more featured than the monotron actually uh and uh because it's got um it's got an envelope it's got a delay section it's got a filter section and an lfo section and then on the side you'd be pleased to know there is a pulse switch modulation switch hey. that, the LF- that the lfo that the lfo feeds uh so actually you can play that whoops whoops yeah <laughs> so it's like a competitor to the volcas yeah kind I, of think, size, but... I think it's yeah and it's gonna no, with be more features similar features i would say but it hasn't got a sequencer on there so it's um but you know it's got a speaker in there and it is a battery powered object uh put the pulse bits in Hmm. Not not feeling the pulse of love there too much, but so you've got that. You're you're. Are you looking into this then? Is this your uh, your latest squeeze, as it were? Yes. So there will be a review, hopefully on Sonic, very soon of it. Uh, and I think so far so good. I think it's pretty cool. And yeah, so it's going to be just. It's going to be sixty quid, seventy dollars. I think. Wow, so, that is affordable, isn't it? And it's yeah, and it's proper. It's good. Price of a big night out. by Ralph Harris. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not anymore, no. Uh, anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining us. Right, I suppose uh, we should probably get on and, uh, and, and cover a few topics. Um, um, obviously, the first is news of uh, the fabulous Walter Becker, uh, guitarist and bass player with the Steely Dan. I've got a little video clip here. Rather unfortunately introduced by Bill Cosby, but um, we'll gloss over that. So this is the... One of the classic reeling in the years. I don't think that's him, is it? That's uh, somebody else. Teddy Dyer. Right. But yeah, very, very, I won't go on because we'll probably get busted by the YouTube police. But uh, I think very he played sad bass on that one, I think. Yeah, I think so too. I, I mean, he started out playing bass as far as I understand. But Steely Dan, it's an interesting one. It really divides people because... Uh, it was a soundtrack to a certain part of my life, and it. But for some people, it's just a little bit too jazzy. I know Mark Tinley is not a fan of those big, <laughs> those those chords, and it's that is the epitome for him. But I mean, I know for a lot of people, probably for you guys, I mean, he's a bit of a, a a giant figure in the world of kind of music, right? Sad day. Yeah. Oh, gutted. I mean, he is amazing. I'm a huge fan, and you know, obviously, uh, Donald Fagan is the more 
kind of known out of the duo of Becker and Fagan, of course. But, um, you know, because uh, Walter Becker, he only ever sung on one Steely Dan song, and that's uh, Slang of Ages off the, well, what's now the last Steely Dan album, Everything Must Go. But I really like his voice. He's done two solo albums as well, Circus Money and um, 11 Track Whack, which is a cool album. I love that album. Uh, but, you know, what what a funny guy, you know, like a comedian, really, you know, brilliant. And um, I think the thing about Steely Dan, I think that's really important is the fact that it was the dynamic of these two people working together. Uh, and in a kind of quite egoless way in many ways, because, um, you know, Donald, uh, Donald would generally be on everything because of his voice, but um, Walter wouldn't necessarily play on any, on the songs, you know, so there were quite a lot of songs from certainly that latter period of the first time around in the seventies where, uh, where Walter was uh, there as the, obviously as the writer and as the kind of, you know, half of the brains of the, of the unit, but he wouldn't actually play on the records themselves. You know, they would get, he, he was a bass player, but, you know, quite often would think, you know, get Chuck Rainey in or, you know, someone like that or Will Lee or, you know, to, to do parts, um, Actually, I don't think Will Lee played on Dan, played on Donald Fagan stuff, but certainly Chuck Rainey. They would get Chuck Rainey in uh, rather than playing on it himself, which I think takes quite big cojones to, to do that. Um, uh, and really sad, though, for me, though, because I've been a huge fan since I was about 15. And uh, yeah, Walter, yeah. R.I.P. Sad. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to you, Dave, because I'm fairly sure that uh, maybe Asia uh, or Arja, I don't know how you pronounce it, the Bernard Purdy days where the, reputedly that was where the, the kind of the Bernard shuffle and those kind of highly crafted studio albums, they kind of started, they were in that kind of tranche of artists that just really kind of pushed the envelope there, right? Yeah, I was really lucky. Uh, uh, my uncle, who's still a gigging musician, introduced me to him. And I was pretty young, so I kind of, I'd got into, I was, I was into their stuff, you know, quite early. He introduced me to some amazing, some amazing artists, and of course, at the time, I was a wannabe drummer. So, and at, and at the same time, there was a, a, a prog drummer, a well-known prog drummer in our local village. He kind of taken me under his wing and was, who kind of introduced me to, you know, people like Tony Williams drumming and Eto Marrera, percussion player, and. Bernard Purdy and obviously Steve Gadd and stuff like that. And I used to occasionally go gigs with him and we'd stand side stage and watch these people play. And the VU meters would just be hitting exactly the same spot every time. And he's like, that's a craft. And I think that really summed up their records. I've got, uh, it's brilliant. I was a motorcycle fanatic. So I had an open face crash helmet and a mono cassette deck. And I love that, that, mad guitar you know the talk box thing in haitian divorce and it was just the right frequency that i could i'd ripped out the side of the padding which wasn't a good idea on the crash helmet <laughs> so i could wedge these headphones underneath and then i had this mono tape deck that i kind of stuffed under my jacket and i could kind of rewind it whilst being on the bike and replay and that frequency of that talk box thing was just the right frequency to to even, cut through the know, bike against a motorcycle engine you'd still get the kind of goosebumps <laughs> but yeah amazing and i mean you know becca was well they that's the moo chord isn't it they were the guy i mean it it had been around for years but they kind of gave it a name which I adopted wholeheartedly and still do, you know, it's basically, you know, if you play it, if you play like a C major triad, so you've got the C, the E and the G, you just lob in the, uh, the second. So you're playing the D as well and you're playing the C in the bass and it's kind of jazzy, but without being jazzy. And I think that's kind of how they hit upon that chord in the first place. But I mean, Asia, all of those albums, I mean, I've read this thing the other day where somebody said, as part of the obituary that, you know, most bands have like one or two classic albums. They had kind of seven in a row that were just <laughs> all amazing. And Asia, when you see that, there's that brilliant documentary on the making of Asia mm -hmm. and uh, where they were kind of getting in all the session musos and trying them out and then erasing the takes and then getting somebody else in. I mean, the expense must have been mega. But when you see, you know, people like Michael McDonald doing those really close harmonies in Peg, you know, again, it's just all goosebump material for me. I kind of lost interest later on. I got into different stuff and I never, I, I had that album that came out in 
about 2000. That's probably the last one I nature. bought. Yeah, yeah. And even then, they would just play these certain chord progressions and again, you'd be, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It would just melt me. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's... It, it's definitely it has a time and there's that sort of classic kind of thing is like if i hear another steely dan track being played or donald fagan track being played as they test the sound system in a room it's kind of you know it's just one too many i know um steve hillier i'm not sure if if they figured in your musical topography uh but i I mean definitely big influences for a lot of people um yeah i i i suspect that's true i'm afraid uh steely dan they kind of hit a bit of a, a blind spot for me which is no comment on them it's more really a comment on myself and i was looking into uh what this band had uh done and this this uh musician prior to the show and i realized much to my horror that the only tune that i knew by steely dan was um uh really in the years and i only yeah. knew it from um Rob Brydon's annually retentive comedy show from the noughties. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And I kind of thought maybe I shouldn't even I shouldn't mention this on Sonic Talk. Oh uh, well, too late, mate. But, yeah, <laughs> but I do really like that tune, and uh, you know, I, I I do appreciate that the, these guys have had a, a huge effect on the probably a lot of the music that I've enjoyed. Um, so a sad day. Yeah, no, definitely. But as so often with these things, you know, also, you know, he's one of those fortunate guys who's left behind this kind of enormous legacy. I said, Charles, I don't know if that's something, if if it, again, features in your musical sort of uh, reference points. Oh, Ah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd say as as a... Also, a front house engineer, I never use Steely Dan to test Okay, I just want to put that out. Never do. What do you use? I think it is, it's uh, uh, actually, I, I use stuff that I've, done myself that i've recorded myself because i know what it's supposed to sound like you know so i i, I always test with my own my own music but the uh, so i i first got into steely dan i bought the gaucho record thinking it was the new marty ballon record marty ballon from jefferson airplane or starship rather um i was a kid what did i know but um then i remember i used to like put that lp on and i had a pair of Panasonic thruster speakers. I'd sit on the floor aim, and lie down between them with them aiming at my ears and just play it full blast, only getting up to turn the record over. And I, I absolutely love that record. Uh, Asia, I got into really only like about five years ago. And and I, I mean, I think it's a, a great record too. The words are a little cheesy, especially on the song Asia, because it's kind of creepy actually <laughs> in Asia. But yeah. Um, yeah, I sorry. You know the the whole thing about the angular banjos. I mean, and it's just kind of this Asia file sort of stuff, which I find a little strange. But um, but I, I do love that record, and and the making of documentary is really good too. And, yeah, it's, you know, it's yeah, one of those classic. It is a classic studio album, isn't it? And I think that's one of those things. You know, they've just got that kind of uh, a, a, a milestone record, I suppose. I mean, that's you know, and that's cool. Can, that's really cool. Can I quickly cut in? Just uh, one of the <laughs> things about Steely Dan, which is quite a lot of people can't stomach it, think it's too anodyne, too safe, or too slick, or too polished, or whatever. But um, their kind of counter to that was very much in the lyrics, and I think this is a, a really big California sleaze, yeah. Oh, unbelievable lyrics, really. I think, in fact, I would say they're my favourite lyrics in the whole canon of rock and roll, actually, to be fair. And and why I particularly love it is that they would get in the most obtuse and bizarre and humorous stuff and also the most twisted stuff. I mean, they would sing about kind of um, perverts or sort of, you know, um, murderers and, you know, all the the kind of most sleaziest and darkest parts of life, but yet dress it with the most, um, you know, sophisticated they kind of thought it was like a punk like a punk thing to do you know to take this to take this kind of very polished veneer and put just the most creepy nasty and (laughs) twisted lyrics there are there are absolutely and um you know i i i think that's certainly the 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 the, those two minds working together and i think uh probably well actually and you can see it in donald fagan's solo work that without sort of donald uh, sorry without walter becker's kind of um you know mischievous mind at play you know the the that they miss a little bit on the Donald. although i love the donald fagan solo records too but um yeah i mean i think that's a big part of it 
Uh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It's it's an, it's def- very much of its time, but very cool. I should also point out. I don't know if you've seen here. I've got the. Uh, I, I, we finally had one of the uh, Sonic State T-shirts coming, which you can now, now buy if you just go to SonicState.com. There's links all over the place. There it is. This is the keys and wires design from Jason Mastrandrea. Uh, just it wanted to plug that because your... I I only plugged it <clears> at the <throat> end of the show last time, so I'm hoping that, that while we've still got some listeners, uh, <laughs> so I'm going to get it in. The... <laughs> your sex appeal, your sex appeal's gone through the roof wearing that T-shirt. Do you think it'd do the same for me I, if I wore one? I, I would imagine so. I haven't left the building. It only arrived today. So I haven't left the building. I haven't tested it out in the wild yet to see exactly <laughs> how much it improves your attractiveness to uh, any any uh, 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 a whole kind of gamut of individuals. But anyway, right. Let's uh, let's have another quick one here. Um, actually, no. Let's let, what we'll do is we'll do the uh, the first the first ad slot because uh, we've got a number of topics to get through. So let's start with uh, this guy. As you know, uh, Isotope very kindly sponsor the show with a prize uh, every week, and uh, this is RX6. RX6, of course, is the sort of de facto uh, music uh, audio restoration and fixing suite. It comes in two flavours. There's music production where we're looking at things like uh, denoise, dehum, declip, uh, spectral deeter. Uh, what's the one that I was really using the other day? I forget. Oh yeah, uh, there's debreath and declick things for really cleaning up vocals which in today's productions are the sort of thing that you used to have to do really forensically and now you can do a hell of a lot of that deplosive as well just from within a, a single uh, suite of plugins very well worth checking out if you work with audio in any way and you need to kind of make sure that even though the take was great there might have been something technically at issue very often it gets you out of uh, out of a deep hole really really useful so we thoroughly recommend you check out isotope isotope slash uh, isotope.com forward slash rx6 is the place to check that out and of course we have a competition uh, last week we asked you to tweet out the hashtag uh what was it repair and restore to rx6 uh, blah 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 last uh, last week's winner is a guy called dennis demance uh on uh, the twitter handle t-e-n-i-s tennis d-com t-e-n-i-s-d-com he's the winner or she's the winner uh it could be a denise rather than a dennis uh if you want to get in touch, Denise or Dennis, um, you will have a full copy of Isotope RX6 uh, music production bundle, and you just have to get in touch. And of course, we do have a competition this week. Uh, oh, that's interesting. I don't seem to have actually the screen up there. Let me just have a look at that. That's awesome. Isn't it great when that happens? Uh, I'll tell you what it is uh, while I try and fix that. RX6 is, um, uh, you need to tweet the hashtag vocal repairs. So that's one word, the hashtag vocal repairs and the hashtag uh, RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. So the hashtag RX6 and the hashtag vocal repairs to uh, RX to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. There we go. That's brilliant, isn't it? I love it when uh, when things start falling apart because I had to reboot the whole thing. But we do, again, as we say, uh, we really do appreciate uh, Isotope supporting the show and it's very much appreciated. Did I say appreciate? enough times i think i probably did right let's get on to uh this video this is the new moog subsequent 37 which is kind of the later uh the next uh, incarnation of the sub 37 which in my opinion is one of moog's real classic synthesizers of recent times this is the excellent cory henry doing his thing in the spirit and they've changed kind of the headroom uh, the subsequent 37 an upgraded synthesizer that retains the magic of its predecessor while giving artists a wider range of sounds. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but it's a really interesting video where they go through the kind of the nitty gritty of what they've done. But essentially, if I can take it as a pot, sort of potted thing, they've taken the the drive and the he- of the original sub 37 which had this multi drive and the fact that everything would get really hot into the uh, into the filters and the vca uh, the problem was with it if there was one indeed is it's actually quite hard to make it clean particularly if you're playing duophonically so with the subsequent 37 amongst other things they've increased that headroom so you, as i think he says uh, they've enhanced the clean vocabulary of the synthesizer now I'm, i and i don't know how feels about the uh, sub, uh, about the sub 37 itself i think dave you've got one haven't you did you get one or try one yeah. or yeah i've got one good synth right 
Yeah, and I love it in geophonic mode. In fact, I've been playing it recently in that, uh, you know, up against modular, uh, up against the modular, and it sits really, really well. In fact, I had a, I had a Sonic Talk listener come and see me, a guy called Scott. So hello, Scott, if you listen. Um, and he was like, "Wow, this is this is cool," you know, in a, in the room full of madness. There was a little thirty-seven. Uh, so yeah, I like that. I, I, I thought this was kind of interesting, particularly about the mixer section. That was one of the big criticisms, I think, of the Voyager, wasn't it? That the mixer section just didn't have that uh, same headroom. I know a few people who had them had kind of whinged to me about it, at least. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. It's a great controller keyboard as well. Um, it's a bit weird, this name, though, isn't it? Subsequent 37. Yeah, thinking, well, I suppose it's sort of subsequent the irrelevant I, I, coming 36. after. <laughs> yeah, that's an intro. Very creative, I suppose. Um, Steve. I don't know whether you're a Moog guy or Moog guy or whether you've experienced the sub. Yeah, I have been in the past. Um, and I, I do agree with uh, both of you. I think it's a it's a beautiful instrument and it's certainly a, a classic, a modern classic, at least from Moog. But the thing that put me off um, was just how, as you were saying, Nick, it's how hot the oscillators were running into the filter. It was giving that kind of saturated sound that... Um, Quite frankly, it is not the sort of thing that I would do. And of course, as you, uh, when you're playing, um, you know, paraphonically, you can end up in in a whole world of uh, of trouble and just notes sort of making a, a bit of a mush. So the fact that they've uh, adjusted that and given the uh, filter stage a lot more headroom, I think that's certainly, you know, in some ways it, it's going to appeal to me. But I I do feel, I think um, there's only going to be two thousand of these made. Is that correct? Oh, is that right? I thought it was replacing yeah. the sub thirty-seven. I, I did, oh, really? Yeah, it's oh. a limited run. Mm. Oh, yeah. And see, as a consequence of that, I I think I'm going to leave it. I know this is going to sound maybe overly magnanimous, but um, I don't think I'm a big enough fan of this instrument to deprive the world of one of the two thousands <laughs> that's going to be out there. If you know what I mean? And I'm much sure that um, somebody who would play it and love it would use it rather than me who probably would look at it a lot if you know what I mean I I wondered about this because you 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 were probably a very similar route to music as I was which was kind of you know perhaps Atari and you know samplers 8-bit samplers and stuff and I I can and I always shied away from those big synths because they're just they sounded so much better than any of the other stuff I had. It was sort of really difficult to fit it in. You ended up having to kind of EQ them within an inch of their life just to yeah. fit them into your sort of really dodgy mix. I don't know. I'm sure your mixing skills are yeah. much better than mine, but did you find the same sort of thing with those kind of big electronic yes, instruments? I, I, I definitely did. And in fact, um, one instrument I was looking at just at, well, actually playing earlier today, um, the Roland uh, JP8000. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, I used to use it throughout the 90s and I still use it a lot now. But the moment you put a proper analog synth next to it in the mix, the JP8000 sort of disappears. Um, it doesn't hold, it explains why so many. Uh, sort of trance tunes, uh, particularly from the early noughties, that everyone used to turn up the treble control on the JP8000 just to make it sleep out in the mix. So, yeah, I, I um, when I was using samplers like uh, the Roland W30 and S760, it was very difficult to get um, big-sounding analog synths like uh, my Korg Monopoly to sit with it. And so, in a way, I suppose, the habit has uh, survived for me until this day. And I try and avoid anything that's too big sounding. Although having said that, just right next to me right now is a Korg MS-20 that I use on pretty much everything, um, which is a, a great instrument. I think it probably would fulfill a lot of the role that a subsequent 37 would otherwise fulfill for me. So I think I'll stick with that. Well, that's a fair enough comment, I suppose. Yeah, no, I get that. And, and I think it's important to know an instrument really well as well. Uh, Charles, uh, not Charles, that's Gaz. Charles, I don't know whether or not yes. you... Uh, 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 I see you've got a Matrix Brute there, so that's kind of probably blown your budget for the subsequent 37, possibly. So <laughs> is that is this something that uh, you've come across? I mean, I don't know if you use the sub, sub 37 at all or whether you might have had it kind of uh, from front of house yeah. point of view. Um, no, no, I haven't, I haven't, uh, I've played with it. I haven't used it. Um, the, I, I may be one of the few people in the, in the world that, you know, Moog stuff or Moog stuff doesn't completely, uh, appeal to, 
I mean, I, I have okay. a Mother 32, and, and I think it's fine. I love it. Uh, I, I do like synths that are kind of kind of dirty sounding and and everything. Um, but I'm very slow in in pursuing getting any any of their other keyboards. I I don't know why. I mean, I I think they're really some of the best made, but I just you haven't had you haven't found the fit. Yeah, no, it's interesting. No. I mean, the the one thing I would say about the Sub 37 interface, it's a really great performance instrument. It's just everything is it's beautifully designed from a kind of right, you know, playing and tweaking at the same time, and that's something that I think is re- is a really big deal. I don't know, Gaz, um, you, I, I remember you had a, you've got a great fondness for the Mini, which is a separate thing entirely. But I mean, there's, you, have you you played with my Sub? Or we've done a couple of jams with it. It definitely has a sort of thing about it, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, no, it's brilliant. And I have been uh, craving one quite a lot. So I'm kind of interested in the subsequent one. I, uh, I'm i kind of ke- keen to find out if they've made a sequence, because, well, the sequencer on the Sub 37 was added almost as an afterthought, wasn't it? So I wonder if the new subsequent 37 has got a little bit more easier legibility for the sequencer aspect of it, because it's quite a clever sequencer in the Sub 37, isn't it, in terms of you can do yeah. quite a lot of cool little stuff but uh the legend of uh, on the on the sub 37 doesn't really show any sequencer stuff particularly does it i don't think not so much i mean it's it's definitely uh played but it's it's again it's uh i think amos Gaines is kind of one of the big brains behind that whole kind of the the firmware side of it and it is really i i suppose for me the thing about i find about moogs i'm just getting a little bit kind of over the 24 db ladder filter i mean i just reviewed the uh the boutique seo2 Absolutely. which has the classic kind of mo ladder filter mm-hmm. and you're kind of doing stuff and it, it sounds beautiful and then you introduce the resonance and it all the balls drop out of it unless you're driving it hard <laughs> you get those lovely harmonics but there's just so little bottom end and i think as a characteristic because there's no it doesn't have a multi-mode it has multi-pole filters which i think is great and that really does help a lot but just the straight you know, four pole, twenty four dB classic ladder. Just, I, I'm kind of over it, really. I'd rather have a two pole, pretty much. I don't know how, how you feel about that, Steve. Have you got a? What's your favourite film? Oh uh, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. I completely agree, and I, I do wonder whether maybe a lot of the, not a lot, but, but, but let's say some of the fetish for this style of filter was due to the fact that there wasn't really a way of getting that sound for a very long time, unless you actually had an original Moog. Uh, there was no, uh, I think, a software recreation of it that that I really think stood any um, real examination. But since the, what, mid-noughties and onwards, there's been so many um, new Moogs and other people using that circuitry. And also the software emulations have become so good. I think, for me at least, the novelty has kind of worn off. And I completely agree with what you're saying about the um, the resonance characteristics. And I do tend to find that, if you're one of the main reasons that I would even consider using a Moog would be for the bass, but the fact that when you dial up the resonance, you lose a lot of the bass kind of, I don't know, it, it sort of negates its purpose for me. And, and yeah. by comparison, I know I mentioned the MS-20 that's just here uh, earlier. You can really crank the, the resonance on both of the filters here and still have something highly serviceable for the bottom end. So, yeah, I... I Got to admit, I think I'm probably over it as well. Oh, well, maybe there's news. There might be, you know, who knows? There's been rumours for ages that there's going to be something new coming out. And, uh, I mean, we suspect it's probably going to be a poly, isn't it? Because that's the one that everybody, right from the beginning, has been saying, yeah, yeah, poly, poly, poly. And I, I have... I, I, I've seen there's been a couple of demos uh, with the Behringer D, actually, the guy, um, Synth Pro. And I, I'm really starting to have a hankering for a, a multi... Dave, have you got a multi... Have you got a poly, Moog? No. no. What? What? What's, we were what's off, the problem? What's the problem? The problem is, is that they got a. Uh, they usually live for about twenty minutes before they need repairing again. That's what's the ah, problem. Okay. I got a fantastic bit of footage of Alan Perlman telling me about how he analyzed the electronics of the uh, Polymoke. He just he's just kind of going, "Why did they do that? Why did they do that?" Uh, you know, brilliant sound. Used one on occasion, and then you go back to it. And it's gone again. So no, ah. no. That I, I also um, memory mode. You know, the power supplies on memory modes used to crap out quite a lot. So 
that was always, like I said before, I always wanted a memory mug, but I didn't want a memory mug, you know. Yeah. So things like the SEO2 look like a kind of alternative. You see, I'm not over this 24 dB ladder filter because I think it's horses for courses. But I do understand. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I love the Oscar filter so much because by introducing that drive, you can crank that res and the way that the Oscar filter is so unique. Uh, you can crank that res and it just doesn't lose any of that bottom end nastiness. It's, it's a thing. Whereas with the Mini, it's like, uh, particularly with sequences, I mean, for baselines, brilliant. Just keep the res down. Don't be yeah. an idiot. Just keep the res down and play it. But for sequence lines, you know, you start introducing a little bit of resonance and it's like, whoa, where's that? Where's it gone? Where's it gone? Whereas the Oscar, no, doesn't happen. Unless yeah, you want it to, unless you want to back off that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's interesting, though. I mean, uh, anyway, uh, it's available. I guess they're going to start shipping pretty soon. I think it was, was it September, October? I forget now. Uh, it's going to be about 1,700 quid, so I'm guessing somewhere around the same price as dollar because we're heading for parity, aren't we, with all that, which is kind of weird uh, weird scenario. Um, <clears throat> but that's that's another matter, isn't it? Um, I'll just uh, drop in. I'm going to change this, change it up slightly and just drop in an ad for our own... Uh, synth so uh, wave junction our max for live synth uh this is the two oscillator with wavetable synthesis uh lots of different multi-waves we've also got three uh multi-mode filters there's five envelopes uh, it's got pulse width as well i should add uh three filters that you can root in series or parallel then stick another one on the end which is actually quite good for sort of shaping a sound if you have a high pass at the end to drop any bottom end off if you want We've also got uh, five LFOs, so five, five envelopes I did, and a 12-slot modulation, modulation matrix. Of course, it is a Max for Live device, and uh, as such, you can only run it in um, Max for Live uh, on Ableton. But if you're into this sort of thing, bit.ly slash wave junction is where you need to go, and we've got a 10% discount code which you can use, which is WJTalk17. So if you go to bit.ly slash wave junction and enter the code WJTalk17, then you will get uh, additional 10% off and you can buy that directly from us, help support the site and all those things. Right, I'll, uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, and so here's another bit of news. Uh, if this is the right video, yeah, let's check this out. Whoa. So uh, this is, uh, yes, let, yet more speculation. What would the world, well, what would Sonic State be without speculation? So uh, this is, of course, the D50, some of the classic sounds. I forget which one that's called. Is that called... Um, Soundtrack. Soundtrack. Soundtrack, that's it. Which was also ported to some of the other LA synthesis. I think there was a version of that on the D110 as well. This is uh, retrosound.de's demo. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because uh, we've got the uh, the new, you know, as, as happens in September, Roland have got their future redefined experience. Uh, and on the 9th of September, they're going to experience the D50. And I think there's actually... There's an image of the D50 and 30th anniversary, apparently, and it's coming soon. So whether that means they're just going to have somebody demonstrating the D50 going, isn't it great, it's 30 <laughs> years old, or they're going to be releasing some in some form or as a plug-out or any of these things. I don't know which is which, but it's interesting because of all the synthesizers that tend to get released, there are probably tens of thousands of these out in the wild. So it's not... a a question of maybe not being able to get hold of them it's whether it's going to have another spin on it now i know dave you're you know d50 was a big uh was a big part of you know a big milestone synth in, in your musical journey from bedroom to live and all of that sort of stuff what do you think what would you like it to what would you like to happen on the 9th of september i don't really have an opinion it's oh, kind okay. of weird isn't it because I, I did look at some of the speculation. <laughs> Like, well, is it a web thing? Will it be a web thing? Will it be a like dense for the boutique thing? Yeah, it could be a, yeah, it could be one of their rental things. I don't know. It's odd. I mean, the thing is at the minute you can pick up I mean, I've got a D fifty and a five fifty. Uh they rarely get turned on, although there's some times where you kind of go, that sound, that sound, and then you can go and kind of turn it on and find that sound. Uh and in some ways, that's kind of testament to the presets because I didn't really do a lot of editing. And that was another thing about this announcement. It's like, so if it's a software cloud thing or a web thing, if you want to edit it, dude, it wasn't the easiest thing to edit. Well, you had a D110. I mean, it's the same principle, that kind of yeah. sample and synthesis thing. Uh, 
Not waveforms. Enough. You needed that programmer in order to really extract the most out of it. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see. Yeah, I'm not sure well, uh, about that either. I don't know. Um, sorry, was that Steve? Yeah, I, I was just going to say I, I've had um, a fair few D50s through the years, and they're a beautiful sounding machine. And I think, like Dave says, that there are occasional moments where you're working on something and you go, "Oh yeah, that's where the D50 should fit in." But I know that the the issue that I always had and still have with D50s was that it felt like the processor within the synthesizer wasn't really fast enough to do the jobs that you needed it to do. So, for example, this, there feels to me, and I, I, I don't know whether this, this has happened to anybody else, but with the D50s I've had, there seems to be some latency from pressing a key to getting a sound. It's only short, but it definitely feels like it's there. And was so, it- so what I'm what I'm kind of hoping if there is a newer version of D50 around, um, is that if you have a, a, a greater spec processor running this machine in some way, that first of all, that latency is gone, but it also enables you to do um, live changes to the sound, which just really wasn't possible, even with the programmer, because you would move a, a fader on the PG-1000 and play some notes, and, and there would be instances where you would be waiting what felt like an age and, and certainly way too long for music for everything to catch up. So it was as a machine, it was really limited in that way. And if Roland got around that, then there could be, I don't know, a whole world open up, opening up um, with a D50. Uh, just one other thing I would throw in the, um, it, I didn't ever find a way to use the filter with the included samples I seem to remember that the routing with the, the really short transient samples was away from the filter. Now, if they changed that, I know it would fundamentally change the nature of the synthesizer, but again, it would open up a, a new world of um, sonic possibility. So I'm sort of quietly, you know, excited. Ah, I know that's interesting. Maybe maybe it'll be D50 Intel edition. <laughs> it'll have an i7 yeah. in it or something. <laughs> that would be... Yeah, yeah it was I did speak to uh, a Roland engineer because there was a whole period where the MIDI, you know, there was this lag, you know, the MU stuff and all sorts of stuff. I did speak to one of the Roland engineers and they said that um, it wasn't until the JD800, which is still used today, came along. There was a separate chip for the keyboard and the MIDI section from the synth engine. And that's why it suddenly kind of everything kind of felt dynamic and sped up. I don't Know how true, whether I've remembered it completely accurately, but it does make sense. That's int- interesting, Charles. Is this uh, have you have you got a D50 anywhere in your uh, arsenal? Uh, no, but I have a JD800 right there. Ah, and to me, nice. I don't I don't need a D50 because the J800 is fine. But but you did ask Dave what he would like to happen on September 9th. What I want is I want Roland to offer to for free to fix all the faders and pots on my JD 800 <laughs> because it's, <laughs> I bought, I bought that thing. I bought it brand new. I mean, I, I bought it in, was it 90? Oh God, I'm showing my age. I bought it brand 90. new or 90. Yeah. It was like whenever, like when it first came out and, um, Oh God, I just thought of a really terrible story about my sort of accidentally insulting the, the salesman when he was, playing like some sequence or something and i go oh those demo sequences and he's like no this is a song i actually wrote I'm like oh but, uh, <laughs> but but anyway uh yeah i i do love that thing and it is for some things especially for certain pads it's really great but i can't i can't even breathe on the machine because suddenly one of the pots will just like catch up and trigger sound to dramatically change so i would never take it live and I have taken it apart a few times and cleaned it out completely, and it'll sort of work for like a couple of months, and then it falls apart. But to answer the larger question, I don't really need a D50 because to me that's very close to it, and I'm fine with that. You know. So. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I suppose, uh, guys, it's sort of almost the soundtrack to the uh, who was that massive ad agency that came up? Just Saatchi. It's the it's the Saatchi and Saatchi synth, isn't it? You know, it was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a weird one, this is, isn't it? Because um, the kind of romantic 
analog thing of the 1970s or whatever, or, or even into the early 80s, uh, I don't know that it extends as much to the, this era as maybe Roland would like to think so. Now, I was also intrigued to see that, so on the analog modeling, what do they call it, the analog component modeling, they're calling it the DC, um, or is it, or they call it digital uh, modeling, uh, modeling of digital uh, with this. Oh, I can't remember the term. So what's it? ACB, isn't it? So DCB, digital component modeling. Um, <laughs> okay. Modeling a really a rubbish puzzling. processor in, in better puzzling. processor software. Yeah. So, bit, the link yeah, you so, um, <laughs> yeah. So that's a bit strange. What I'm wondering about then, so we know that the, the D50 is available on the Roland Cloud. So there is a software version of it knocking around already available from Roland. So it isn't currently available as a plug-out, so that could be the thing. But I think that would seem a little bit uh, uh, underwhelming for this launch. So uh, I am thinking it is going to be a boutique. Um, oh, and I think that's quite... Well, if it is, will it... You know, I mean, what are the kind of key performance features of the D50? There was, what was that thing called? The chain, not the chain. There was a funny thing that made like a, like a delay uh, on the D50. Um, oh, yeah, it, follows. Um, yeah. So I, I'm wondering whether it'll have those kind of controls and obviously the, the joystick and that kind of thing. But whew, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm just not sure that it will translate as well. I mean, this is entirely speculation, of course. But um, I think uh, the, there isn't anything like it as a small little module, though, is there? I mean, you know. I suppose not. I mean, um, I should point out, uh, Heliosphere in the chat room, it's gone past now, uh, said maybe they're going to start thinking about doing iPad versions of their classic sims, you know, much the same way that the Borg have has done to great effect. So, if I'm so I'm sure on an iPad it would probably run like a dream, and you know, they could do all sorts of stuff with it. So that might be a possibility, and that that kind of would make sense from a sort of expanding their user base thing. Although I think they have invested an awful lot in this whole cloud thing. It's a kind of uh, 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 collaborative thing with uh, another company. I forget the name of the company. So mm. I don't know whether that's going to be something they're going to push, or whether it would be a, a, an iPad based thing. I, I don't know. But it's it's interesting that um, I mean, isn't Eric Persing responsible for a lot of the D fifty sounds? Yeah, and a lot yeah, of those, yeah, yeah. Like so, I mean, what's the digital native dance? That's a classic one off the D fifty, isn't it? And uh, you know, and and it's it feels like in a way, Omnisphere is the is the uh, evolution of the D fifty in a way in terms of the, that those kind how of how far you could go from. Yeah, I suppose I see what you mean. Yeah, mm. that kind of does make some sense. Uh, but as we say, you're going to have to wait till the 9th uh, to experience the Roland D50. Uh, as I said, I've got it up here, and uh, uh, I should plug some of the other days. Uh, uh, the 7th, which is, uh, when's that? That's tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow oh. is Wind Day. Tomorrow is Wind Day. Uh, then Friday is Guitar Day. Uh, Saturday is the D50 Day. Monday is Organ Day. Thirteen. Every uh, day's an organ day. Every, every day's day is an organ day. day. Yeah, and then, and then uh, 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 drums and percussion day and piano day. So they're obviously going to be. It's an interesting whole. You know the way they do this they sort of pre before you get to now. And Gaz, I wanted to show you because I think this will work. Mm. Uh, James Corden uh, Condren via uh, Facebook said, "Hi Gaz, my mate got a photo <laughs> with you at Green Man Festival and thought you were Aidan Moffat from." What's that say? <laughs> Arab strap. There you Arab go. Strap. Just, I, I throw that in cool. there for you. Um, I like it. Anyway, cool. <laughs> so yeah, D D fifty. There we go. I mean, it, it remains to be seen. Now, we've got. Um, I would. I'm just wondering whether I want to go for the knobs or the patch pad. I think I might go for this one actually. This is the uh, patch CAD software that uh, I don't know if you're aware of. It runs on PC. I mean, uh, many of us have struggled with our patch bay labels. I mean, it, sound, it may sound like a dull, a, a dull sort of uh, IT <laughs> issue, but PatchCAD have created this really brilliant bit of software, basically. It has a load of templates for uh, all sorts of different types of patch bay uh, and a kind of spreadsheet-type interface. It's a tenor. It works on PC only, but allows you to basically create your own labels and templates and then print them out and stick them on your patch bays. And I, I know some people don't have patch bays, but I remember, for instance, myself uh, spending lots of time trying to draw with a felt-tip pen on the, the one label 
able that would come with patch base, messing it up, turning it over, getting it wrong again, and then having forever this sort of awful thing. Where do we stand on patch bay labels? I'm going to start with you, Steve Healy. I don't even know if you have a patch bay of that nature, but I'm going to take a shot. Uh, yes, I do. I do. And I would say um, uh, I colour code everything that I possibly can. I, it, I find um, <laughs> it, it sounds a bit strange, but sometimes I get um, shapes and uh, colours kind of mixed up, not confused, but there's a really strong association. So I tend to have um, all my uh, outputs are, are red, inputs are green. Uh, and when I, I've had a, a CV patch bay, that kind of thing, they'll be grey and white. And that was really all I needed, just different shades of that to help me remember what was going where. So um, I'm up for this colour coding. Excellent. OK, uh, that's, that sounds like a good one. Gaz, I, I've seen your studio. Ah, <laughs> what's that? The uh, what, what are they called? The uh... I think it's a brother one. Oops. Ah, uh, the brother label maker. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's always a good one too. Yeah, forced by Robbie Bronneman actually. Robbie has forced me into this, and and I have to label every single power supply as it arrives here, and that sort of thing, um, under Robbie's express kind of uh, orders. Because, uh, <laughs> but it, yes, and it is good to do. But these things are cheap, aren't they? I mean, yeah, you know, but you can't get good. the spacing right because I've done that. I've done patch bays with those things, and I I do a bit, yeah. I cut a bit, and then you stick it on and cut another bit, and you stick it on. It's just ah, oh, it's, it's a okay. nightmare. Yeah. It's not as good as that thing, I, I agree. But you can with these things. They're pretty clever, though. You can adjust the, the font size and the width, and you can get them pretty small. I think they're quite good. They're only about, what, 25 minutes, something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to look around, because uh, Andy is a very a very uh, habitual labourer. Labeler, rather. Labeler. I'm just trying to see what's something that he might have labelled. Oh, yeah, here we go. So, for instance, we get we use those for so all of our cameras have got stickers on them and they're all labelled up. So yeah, it works well for that. But uh, but yeah, it, I haven't really got anything else. I mean that because I'm using the X32, it's all it all says what it is, so I don't have to worry about that so much. I know, Dave, are you a uh, um, are you a labeler or a, a kind of colour coder? No, I'm a labeler. I've got a brother printer. Everything that comes in here, particularly power supplies, because yeah, it's a nightmare. America, it? Japan, UK, so it's got to be labelled 110 or 240 or whatever, which is why I was so gutted when I cooked that wave station the other week because that was the only IEC <laughs> cable that didn't have 110 written on it. Um, oh. But what I found was, so the way, I, the way we work is... Obviously, we've got submixers. The synths go to the submixers and they come out into the main audio interface. And so I would really carefully and fastidiously label all of the mixer uh, inputs and outputs and the fronts. It would be like, oh, the Andromeda, okay, and the 2600 and the Moog. And then somebody would come into the studio and go, oh, I don't want to use those. I want to use this and that and the other. And then everything would end up getting kind of semi-repatched. And then my labels made no sense whatsoever <laughs> after that. And after three or four times, I just thought, you know what? Life's too short. I'll just wing this every time. Because generally, you've got an idea. And I label the cables and everything. Yeah, so I am a bit of an anal labeler. Ah, uh, that's uh, yeah. I don't like the sound of that too much. That sounds that, that wasn't that wasn't where I thought this topic was going. To be perfectly honest, that's not a good name for the show. No, I think that won't be the name of the show. Charles, you look like an organised man. You know, you when you're playing live. I mean, importance live. You need stuff labelled. I mean, I guess with front yes. of house desk, you're labelling the inputs on the channel. You don't have lots of tape and kind of sharpies. Right. But uh, what, how? What's where do you stand on this? I, I well. Courtesy of Robbie Bronneman, I also label everything with a label maker. But um, but to the whole patch bay thing, I just use a uh, spreadsheet, and I just do trial and error. I'll I'll like make make a a landscape printout, and I'll I'll you know one through twenty four or whatever the size of the the that particular patch bay is, and I'll print it out, come back in here, and I'll just like hold it up and just see if it measures right, and I'll keep adjusting until I get it just right. But I do color coding and I do labeling. Um, but it, it, the tricky thing for me, and I, I, I think in this in that video I saw about the, that that thing, which unfortunately is only PC, yeah. um, font is really important um, because I, I'm not a particularly good reader, so I use a dyslexic font, which helps a bit. So I have all my patch bay in that. And most of the time when people see that, they're like, 
wow, those those letters are really strange. <laughs> and I would, yeah, yeah, they have to be bottom heavy so I can see them because otherwise it all becomes a jumbled mess for me. But I'm I'm very much into labeling absolutely everything, including this laptop I'm talking on right now. It's even labeled as my laptop, just not to be confused with all the other laptops I take on tour with me. So yeah, I label everything. I think even my phone has a label on it. Yeah, it does have a label on it. <laughs> Actually, I think what you got. Oh, there's another one. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I'm just, as I look around the the room, I, uh, labels are starting to kind of like come into focus. I'm realizing how many things are labeled in here. But but I mean, because it is, the, you know, certainly I, I, I certainly with front of house and with like you're saying with your studio, Dave. You know, this place is in a state of constant flux. You know, you got someone who comes in and they want A, B, C, D. You know, they want this, that, or the other, and then suddenly it's like, oh, where's this? Where's that? So you, we we you know, we try and look, but we don't. We label in a way that means that we could just find stuff, and we use uh, things like this a lot. So this really high-vis tape. So it's like, where's the remote? Ah, oh, there it is. You know, that kind of stuff is, is, is all used. Because when the lights are off, you know, you're just going, oh, well, I don't know where that is. And then, yeah. And for some reason in the audio world, they want to make everything black. I don't know why. Well, like, so it doesn't show up, I suppose. So it's discreet. I don't know, discreet, perhaps. Yeah. I did get an um, interesting tip the other day from somebody who had run a, run a similar kind of studio. And they said they don't label in terms of names since... They have a number and then they have a list on the wall of what number is what synth. So that because of this constant replumbing, they can just go, oh, that's one. Okay, that's such and such. I was kind of tempted to give that a bit of a go, but it sounds like a mm. the problem is, is that your label's going to be kind of that big, isn't it? And you're going to be looking for this little one or two or ten or whatever. Yeah, is that a seven or is that a, a, hold on, is that a nine or a six? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which way up is it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that kind of uh, stuff. I, 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 uh, labeling is important, folks. Sorry, who was who was that? Steve? I just, I just, yeah, I, I just wanted to to mention something. Just we're talking about labeling. It's um, a, a little uh, a habit that I got that I got into a time ago. But this is labeling within your computer. So if you're using uh, a Mac, it's actually really easy to label files or a whole bunch of files and give them different colors. Um, and I discovered uh, a long time ago that. You know, sometimes we, if you do an upgrade or if you do like a, an operating system upgrade, things can change and, and your rig can fall down and you don't know what it is that's changed that's made your rig fall down. So a little tip I would just give out there to everyone is that if you have, um, if you know you're going to do like a big operating system upgrade, let's say you're going to go to High Sierra, before you do that, go to the extensions folder that you'll find in the library um, in your home folder and also at the uh, top level in the computer and label just with one color everything that's in that library then do your upgrade and you can see what's changed because then when apple include their new software on what you put in it won't be labeled ah top tip yeah. like that that's yeah, a good one it, i can i can tell you it saved me days of uh, troubleshooting when you discover you know yeah just what's been changed by an upgrade i really would recommend it interesting that's a good tip top tip that Gaz, i think you were uh, you're angling for for something there no i was just a, i was just noticed that like you know everybody's got really amazing synths in their in their view and it, I, I me i'm just a stylophone and everyone's like got what's it two six hundred well it's just these, like, are, these are cardboard they don't actually work they're just they, they could be <laughs> couldn't they we did actually have this idea that what we would do is green screen um the, or, or get um printouts of like the front of you see in studio racks so just get these 19 inch boxes and and just stick big printouts of really tasty gear on it. So it looks like we've just got racks and racks of the stuff. And then you could just flip it over and it could be a kind of vintage EQ rack or you flip it over and it'd be a rack of, I don't know, D110s or whatever you wanted it to be. But that that idea didn't really fly. That's you sort of like about what Ridley Scott that... was doing in Alien. Sorry? Ridley Scott? You, in Alien, yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott was like, if he wanted to vent, he'd just print, like photocopy a, a picture of a, of a vent cut it out and just stick it up on the wall. And it looked like there was a vent on the wall or in, you know, just like it's because, you know, you're seeing everything 2d. So there's no way you'd even know that whether or not it's a real vent. Actually, it's the uh, shop fitting school of uh, set design. Yeah. I like the sound of that. That's a good one as well. You, you saying about patch base, Nick, I did actually get called into a studio that had recently been purchased and all this stuff had arrived. And it was like, I'm not getting anything out of this synth. And I was pointed to a patch bay. 
they'd been plumbing cables in and out, thinking it was a, some kind of modular synthesizer. <laughs> <laughs> nice, excellent. Easy mistake to make. I, I, easy, easy mistake to make. I would, uh, I would imagine. Um, okay, well, I think that probably brings us to a close for the day, just because, because uh, it's. I think what's happening is well, we've got four guests, which has been great, but I think it's just slightly taxing the uh, my my machine a little bit heavily. So I'm getting all these blinky lights. I'm I, I'm just slightly nervous that it's going to be audio only at the end of it, but I'm sure it won't be. So I don't want to push my luck while it's still going, even though we did have a slight uh, fall down in the middle of it. I think every the live streams all worked out. So I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. On just get another quick plug in for the isotope because I can bring the screen up now. If you want to join, uh, enter the isotope competition. Uh, we're looking for the. Hack Hashtag vocal repairs, that's one word, and the hashtag RX6 uh, to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. That's the hashtag vocal repairs and the hashtag RX6 to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc. And if you enter, uh, we will pick a competition winner from uh, from this week's entries for next week, and you will uh, stand a chance of winning a full version of RX6. And also, buy a T-shirt. we got these ones. Hey! And we've also got, uh, hold on, I've got another one here, the, uh, the, uh, the classic... Classic. The classic, the classic <laughs> logo as well, which we've got here. So you can buy mugs too, which are actually very fetching. I was hoping Ooh. to have one of those to slurp that's out. Nice. Oh, I think that's, that, isn't it? That's good. And then uh, T-shirts in various colours with just a simple logo. We'll bring in a few more designs as we go, but I wanted to get that plug in. So um, we should probably round things up a little bit. And uh, so, uh, Steve, your first time here. Thank you very much. You, you, you by default get to plug something have you got something to plug or something that you want to tell us about Ooh. before you uh, before you vanish for the, for the week uh well I'm, I'm i am doing a vocal session straight after here um with uh, an artist called molly um i'll put a bit more information about her up on twitter but she's really good and uh yeah we're um finishing off some songs hopefully for release i would imagine before christmas Excellent. And uh, will people find all that stuff on stevehillier.net or is it uh, uh, Best to go to Twitter for that. I'll, um, I'll be tweeting that. But eventually we'll end up there as well. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Steve. It's been a pleasure having you aboard. Thank uh, you. And uh, may you, uh, please do join us again. I'll stick you on the distribution list. So, you know, jump in or if you've got any topics you want to throw in there, uh, please do. And lovely to have you. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. And also, Gaz, thank you for joining us as well uh, and your Stylophone preview, uh, which we should have some sort of review uh, up sometime in the not-too-distant future. So thank you very much. Um, yeah, cool. And you got anything you want to plug? Um, I did see something has just been announced uh, to do with Native Instruments, like literally just now. I don't know if you can put the thing up. I don't up. know. Um, mm, you see. That's something reasonably interesting instruments.com uh, <laughs> let's have a look um, uh, I'm not see I'm seeing uh, symphony series percussion oh, okay nothing here at the moment all right perhaps th that was not yet no okay not, not that I can see so it's just um, lagging behind Andersons have sort of, of, of well Andersons have put it out there so we can say if they put it out can't we i don't know let me just check <laughs> i think safe um, sa safe to say maybe wait until tomorrow for the uh, absolute on that i would hate to uh, be okay. the one <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but um okay but there's something something pretty big coming from native instruments uh which is quite exciting uh and also yeah i mean um yeah i'm gonna get stuck into stylophone land now so um yeah, I'm going to see if I can make a tune-up using only the stylophone. That's my that's a little plan I'm saying, and I'm going to try and make it dark and somber and not at all bleepy. That's my that's my challenge. Nah, that's a, that's the kind of challenge I can. Uh, I, I'm sure you'll be able to rise to. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Gaz. Been a pleasure. Uh, also, Mr. Cool. Charles Chicky Reeves, thank you for joining us too. Uh, nice to have you back nice in the country, and hopefully we'll have you on again. What, what's what's yes. next for you? Have you got a session? Uh, I'm just working on the new Chicken Cocoa record. Ah, yes, of course. So, Where can people find Sublime uh, Sublime Dash UK? Uh, I think actually chickencoco.com. Chicken There's actually a domain for it. Of course. Chickencoco.com. Very easy. Thank you very much. But uh, yeah, I should be finished mastering that in the next couple of days, and then I'm going to pop it online, then I'll make a vinyl version, and there you go. Oh, vinyl version. Nice. 
And also, Mr. Dave Spears, thank you for joining us too. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, and nice to see you. Nice to see you've got the light not in front of you. So you'll monitor it. You, you can use your monitor. You don't have to shut the curtains. You know, you've got some daylight <laughs> and you can still see the screen. Yeah. Finally. It's so weird. Yeah, I've moved, yeah, I moved the room around because it was like I had the, the windows there. And it's an amazing view and beautiful and all the rest of it. But I just found that I was just having a blind stand the whole time because my monitor was... And then occasionally I'd look around and go, oh, it's a nice view, and then get back up on my work. So I've, and that, now what I've got is the JD800 and the cat and the various things so that I can actually look out, see the view, and play. That might lead to a little bit of inspiration at some point. Excellent. Well, it's lovely to have you as ever. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for watching. Uh, that's it for this week. I will say goodbye. Don't forget to subscribe, uh, buy a T-shirt or a Wave Junction or any of those things. And do check out our guests' websites. There'll be more information in the, um, the show notes. That's it. See you next time.